This is Rumble. And this is Michael Moore. This is an emergency. This is not a drill. We are in deep, deep trouble, my friends. And I think all of you know it. We are out of time. They tell you, though, not to panic. You, we need to panic. Smart panic, but panic nonetheless. You are listening to a special emergency podcast system edition of Rumble with Michael Moore. Let's get to work. We have a lot to do. And, my friends, we're the ones who have to do it. I believe we have only 48 hours to act. After that, it's too late. You've seen Italy, right? You've seen what it looks like there. Not enough beds in the hospital. Dying people out in the hallways, on gurneys, on stretchers. Hospitals overrun, overwhelmed. Doctors walking up and down the hallways doing triage of the people laying there. Okay, he lives, she dies. She lives, he dies, he dies. She lives, she lives. Because they don't have enough ventilators. They don't have enough beds. They don't have enough people healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, to help. Because the doctors have gotten sick and the nurses have gotten sick. It's day of the locust there. It's a complete shitstorm. And it's what we're going to look like if we had acted two days ago. <laughs> so we don't get to look. That's going to look good compared to what we're going to have. We didn't act two days ago. We didn't act yesterday. If we act today or tomorrow, then it'll be that, what we see in Italy, that plus about a half to two-thirds worse than that. I've spoken to my sources that I've been talking to over the last few weeks, some of them muzzled, some of them afraid to talk. People at the NIH, the National Institute of Health, at Harvard Medical School, at two of the country's top hospitals, and I've talked to my dentist. <laughs> Remember from the one of the early episodes, the the drill sound? Yeah, that he uh, he told me today that um, dentists are prohibited from um, seeing patients now unless it's a you know a real emergency for at least the next month. <laughs> so many things I've heard and learned, so many people that um, back home um, in Michigan, out in California, out in Seattle, in New York City, um, it's estimated there are already 200 nurses who have the virus. So they're out of commission. And any nurse that they may have been around, they're out of commission. This hasn't been covered very much, but we are depleting the number 
of healthcare professionals that we're going to need in a few weeks, in a couple weeks, next month, for the rest of this year. Even if we had the beds, even if we had the ventilators, we won't have the doctors and the nurses because they're human too and they're getting sick. They're getting sick a lot right now. Now, some of them, obviously, you know, they're young enough, they'll come back, they'll go through it, and then perhaps they'll be inoculated for a period of time, maybe not, but they think they will, so they can go back to work. But let's understand the statistics here, um, which we now know more than when I last spoke to you about this, I, I believe back on Friday. It's pretty much assumed now that um, somewhere between one in three of us or one in two of us are going to get uh, the COVID-19, the, the coronavirus. 80% of us, though, who get it. Now, remember, half of us would be um, over 150 million people are going to get this in the U.S. 150 million. But 80% will recover uh, fine. Actually, it'll feel probably no worse than a, a bad cold for, you know, three, four, five, six days. No, no hospitalization, just, you know, grin and bear it. So that's sort of the good news. 15% of us are going to have to be hospitalized, though. It's going to be like pneumonia. It's going to be like, you know, a serious respiratory infection. And we're going to need to be in the hospital. 15% of 150 million, if it's, if it's that high, maybe it'll only be 100 million. But even if 100 million, that's easier to do. I just said that because it's easier to do the math. 15% of 100 million are 15 million people that are going to need to go to the hospital. We don't have that many hospitals. We don't have that many beds. They've shrunk the number of beds. The way our, our for-profit um, uh, hospital system and our for-profit insurance system works, the supply and the demand of it, you know, if you've got too many hospital beds, well, it just kind of brings the cost down. You know what I'm saying? They, they will tell you that too many hospital beds brings the cost up. But that actually, no, if if you need the beds, you need the beds. And if there's a greater demand, I don't have to explain capitalism to anybody on this podcast, do I? 15 million people are going to need to be hospitalized. And the other 5%, they're also going to need hospitalization, but they're going to need to be in the ICU. They're going to need a ventilator. So what's 5% of a hundred billion, uh, 5 million, right? 5 million are going to need to be, uh, how many beds are there in America? ICU beds, maybe, maybe 60,000, but a lot of those are already filled with people who are in there because they've had a stroke or a heart attack or some, you know, awful event that they're, you know, going through right now. So it's not like those beds are just sitting there empty. There might only be 20,000 of those beds open and we're going to need upwards. You know, I'll, I'll go conservative if you want. Don't say, don't say we're going to need 5 million. We'll need a million and we're not going to need them maybe all at the same time. Or will we, because we failed to act on this eight weeks ago, because we failed to get the testing going because we didn't even have the test kits because the commander in chief did not treat this seriously, saw it as a bad PR thing. Ooh, ooh, virus. That's not good in an election year. So we didn't act. And that's why, that's why our healthcare system, our hospitals are going to get slammed in the coming weeks. 
because it's just going to, it's just going to balloon instead of it gradually happening. You've seen all the stuff flattening the curve and all that. If, if, if enough of us had stayed inside eight weeks ago, if enough of us had not thought it was a hoax, it doesn't mean that the virus would have just gone away. The virus wasn't going to think, oh, these people are rude. They won't even come out of the house and let me infect them. Well, fuck them. I'll go to another planet. No, that's not how it works. The virus isn't going anywhere. The virus is going to infect a large, large chunk of the population. But if it if it does it over a period of months, or even as um, many doctors predict, but they don't let them say this too much on TV. You've heard a few of them say it, not many. This could last up to two years. Have you noticed how this has gone over the last just a couple of weeks where at the beginning, you know, we're going to have to close the schools for a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, they knew that wasn't true. This is going away in a couple of weeks. And then you started to hear, well, it could be a month. And then people started living. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to see about opening the um, baseball season. Eh, like the second week of April, maybe instead of the last week of March, you know, keep everybody's hopes up. We're just going to, we're going to just cancel we're not going to cancel actually. We're just going to postpone our film festival just, you know, till May. <laughs> and they, each day they keep opening it, don't they? And then finally, de Blasio said it the other day. No, this is going to go till probably September. And then, and then on um, Monday at the press conference, the one where Trump finally sounded like he was taking this seriously, also sounded like somebody had drugged him so he would take this seriously. Um, even Trump said, yeah, this is going to the end of August. Yeah, that means that means nothing's happening between now and the end of August, according to the way they're trying to tell it to you. But even that is not true. And from my discussions with these doctors and with these health officials and what they've told me is this is a two-year pandemic. It's a two-year pandemic. And... Um, if we, if we do the things where we should be doing and should have been doing already weeks ago, it will come in waves, you know, so we'll have to sort of self isolate whatever they're calling it for, you know, a month at a time and then it'll die down. Then we can go out and we can do things. It'll come back in a couple more months and then we got to hunker down again and then it'll we'll be fine. And then, it'll, you know, it's going to go like that for two years. It's going to be a series of hills. Not, not, if we do this right, we don't want the peak. If it goes, if it shoots up like a peak, it's, it's Italy times whatever. But, but we have a chance to, to turn this around. And that's why I, I said so we have to do an emergency podcast because we've got to get everybody on board. We have to do it now. And we don't have, we can't do it three days or four days from now. But of course, say, well, what are we going to do, Mike? <laughs> I'm, I'm here in Wichita Falls, you know, um, that's okay. There are some things we can do locally and where we can organize very quickly our friends and neighbors and, and other people we know um, to put pressure on the local mayor and the city council to do some, some things and onto the governor of our states to act, act quickly. And then, but we're going to need a, a huge national, a huge national protest. I don't mean protest as in marching in the streets. There's no time for that. Plus we don't want to, go march in the streets and give each other uh, coronavirus. No, but let me go through what we need to do here because we don't have time and I don't want to take a lot of time. I just want you to, you understand the stakes of this now. 
Or are you still um, not getting what I just said? No, Mike, come on, Mike. It's not going to be two years. Okay. It's not going to be two years. Do we like to just say things? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, we want to feel better. We don't want to. We don't want to be bummed out. We don't want to be in a panic. You know, panic actually isn't good. You know, the, the normal kind of panic. You really, if you know, if you know this, if if you grew up like in the area of the country in the north where I grew up, and you take driver training in high school, and they teach you that when you hit a skid on the ice, that um, your instinct immediately is going to be to hit the brake to stop the skid. Because you're starting to spin around, you're going to spin out of control, you're going to flip the car, you're going to go in, across on the other side of the highway and a truck's going to run into you. So your your brain goes, hit that brake, hit it now and don't let up, don't let up for dear life, don't let up off the brake. And that is what kills you by, by putting your foot on the brake and leaving it there. You're taught in the North Country that you have to pump the brake. You have to pump the brake. Now, of course, you know, back when I learned, right, they, they didn't have the whole... The, uh, you know, the anti-skid, the anti, uh, you know, the braking systems now that they start, there's, there's a bit of a computer in there that starts to take over, but you still can't just hold your foot on that brake. You've got to pump the brake. They tell you to pump the brake, which means in order to pump the brake, you have to let your foot off it for a couple of seconds and then put it right back down, slam it, then let up. But you don't want to let up. You want to hold down for dear life because you're about to die. That's what you're thinking. But by pumping the brake and by letting the, 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 uh, you know, the anti-skid, the anti-rolling mechanism that's in our modern braking systems do its job, the car actually straightens itself out and you can get yourself quickly out of harm's way. So our instinct is to not want to hear the bad news. You know, we hear, you hear something that sounds like a gunshot out on the street here, especially here in a place like New York City. Your brain immediately says, no, 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 that's a car backfiring. That's a tire that blew. That's you know, the dumpster on the sidewalk, something, you know, it's something else. It's, we want to believe it's something else. We don't want to, we don't want to think the worst. So we fight our survival instincts, the things that, the very thing that kept us alive in our early years as a human species that knew when to get the hell out of there because <laughs> the saber-toothed tiger was about to eat you. And uh, nobody thought you were a wimp if you started to run from the tiger. Nobody was worried about how they looked. Nobody called you paranoid. Nobody called you chicken little. Nobody called you. They, they saw that the tiger was about to eat you, and so you ran. So if we are just playing this game with ourselves, trying to feel better and, and not listen to what the possibility might be. I think uh, Dr. Anthony uh, Fauci said it really well on Monday when he said, it, I'd rather overreact. Wouldn't it be better to overreact than have people say, oh, geez, you will, you know, it's like something they, they say a blizzard's coming in and then the blizzard never comes. And then everybody laughs at the mayor for getting all the plow trucks out and salting all the roads. Yeah, why do we do that? I mean, isn't it better that the mayor planned for the blizzard? Isn't it better that we plan for the worst case scenario with COVID-19 as opposed to trying to be cool? Trying to, so that later we can say, yeah, I see, I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be that bad. Everybody overreacted. 
then you look foolish and you feel, you feel foolish because you bought all that Campbell soup because you were hunkering down. Well, that's how we are, I guess. So, um, all I'm asking you to do because I'm actually I'm not I'm not really an alarmist. I I take things you know pretty I take things pretty easy actually, and um, and I have a sense of humor that um, kicks in when things look really dark and bad, and um, it prevents the the need for alcohol. So. <laughs> I'm recording this on the night of St. Patrick's Day. I'm actually recording this just before they are closing the polls in Illinois, Florida, and Arizona. Not Ohio. They did the right thing. How stupid. Have the president tell you one the day before, no gatherings of more than 10 people. And then all these states continue with the election, the primary. And you know, I woke up thinking that, well, you know, Bernie should just say, look, I, I, I realize that this kind of weirdly benefits me because uh, older people know that they're more susceptible to this virus, so they're not going to vote today. So the people voting are younger people, and that's my, that's my demographic, and uh, I'm going to win some primaries t- tonight. But I'd, I'd rather lose and have people be safe. I'd rather wait so that people don't pick up a virus and die, especially... Well, anybody. And one of the things that I've been listening to from these doctors in the last few days is we have to stop saying, oh yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't kill the young. There's a lot of young people in all these countries though have, that have gotten the virus, that have ended up in the hospital, that now have permanent lung damage, the, the kind you'd have if you've got a really bad case of pneumonia or whatever. Um, it's not like it's, it's just a party if you're you know, between the ages of two and, and 50 or 60. You don't want to get this. Who wants this? Why would you want a bug in you that humankind and the planet Earth has never seen before? We have no immunity to it. None. Our body doesn't know what to do with it, doesn't know how to kill it, and in fact, can't kill it. And only because of modern medicine and science are we going to quickly be able to figure out a way to arrest it or to kill it? So I tell you these things only because I need you to do some things right now. And that's why we've put this under the emergency podcast system. Part of our operation here, because we all need to get busy immediately and not listen to me talk a whole lot more right here. I just want to lay out the facts for you. This is a two year pandemic. The kids are not going back to school this year. And when I say this year, I don't mean maybe till June. I mean, depending on how, how we act right now, they may not be in school for some of the fall. It may be an on and off on, on and off again thing. They can go to school for a couple of months and then we've got a, we've got a quarantine for a month and then the thing will die down then back to school for a couple of months. I mean, this is how it's going to roll. Um, so I'm saying this so you understand, and I'm, and I'm, this isn't me. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. This is me talking to some very reputable people at some of our top hospitals, at some of our top, at one of our top medical, medical schools, 
um, and people who work for the federal government who believe and feel that they can't talk. And as I mentioned the other day, there's one person that's in the in the Trump loop that contacted me and um, is mortified by what's going on and couldn't handle it anymore and wanted to share with me what this person has heard and witnessed. And um, I'll give you I'll give you just one piece of it. A lot of it, a lot of it is just confirming what I and you already know in terms of how this man, this president thinks. But also, he's been saying things in the White House. I want to give you one of the things that was quoted to me. So this is one degree of separation from Trump. This isn't a rumor. This isn't something that, you know, somebody told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. This is, this is, I'm talking to the person who heard Trump say this. And here, here you go. Trump says to some people in the White House, um, after it was announced that Tom Hanks and his wife, uh, Rita Wilson, had contracted um, COVID-19 while uh, filming in Australia. And so this is what Trump said. He said, um, you know, this is, uh, this is really, this is kind of a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that Hanks uh, got the virus because um, he's going to be better in a few days. And, you know, he's so loved by everybody. He will be the he will be the poster boy for how this is not a serious thing. This virus, the Democrats and the media have blown it up, and we will have Tom Hanks to show how here he is five days later, all better. So this Hanks getting the virus is a good thing. This is what Trump said. Hanks getting the virus is a good thing because it'll prove my point that. The virus isn't that serious. And like all the doctors have said, 80% of the people get over it in a few days, like they just had a cold. Of course, Tom and Rita were hospitalized in Australia. They, I believe they just got out today. So I don't know how many days was that in the hospital. Uh, we're coming up on a week, right? Since we first heard about it. This is who we're dealing with. This is the mind of Donald J. Trump. So I feel I've heard a lot of, and I've asked a lot of questions and I'm telling you these things so that you understand that not only is this going to be with us for a while, um, we, our hospital system is not going to be able to handle it and it is going to be panic city. It's going to be riots it's, people are going to go to the hospital with their loved ones. Their loved ones are dying and they're going to want to get in and they're going to want to save them and they're going to be turned away. And they're going to try to get in and they're going to have to have police there and they're going to have to have soldiers there. Because how, how, are you, how would you act? How would I act? Your loved one is dying in your arms. You need help. And there's no help. Not just the fact that there aren't enough beds. We're going to, by the way, those 60,000, which will really be about 20,000 empty beds, ICU beds that we're going to need. Um, all the predictions, the lowest prediction I've heard is we're going to need 200,000 beds, not 20,000. Um, and we, we, we might need a half a million at any given time. Well, <laughs> where are we going to get these beds? 
But as the doctors have told me, it's not just the beds. Fuck the beds. So what? You got a bed to lay down in. If you don't have the nurse, if you don't have the doctor, if you don't have the person operating the ventilator, what good is it? Because they're all going to be so stretched. Many of them are already sick or will get sick. And it's going to be <laughs> with the Republicans, you know how they worried about the death panels, right? That's, that's literally what it's going to be, a live death panel where the doctors that are, are not ill and, and functioning on some level, doing the triage, he dies, he dies, she lives, he lives, she dies. Except the he and the she are going to be people that you know. Some people have seen their parents for the last time. When they last saw them last month, six months ago, not knowing that this was going to happen. Young people, their grandparents. They shouldn't be seeing their grandparents right now. You need to not be around your grandparents if you're young. Because you probably won't show any symptoms even if you have the virus. But the virus will see that there's an elderly person two feet from you. The virus will like that. A lot of people are going to die. Um, the estimates I've heard are, depends how fast we act. I mean, literally, if we if things happen tomorrow, if things happen today, um, it'll it'll bring that number down. So maybe only, maybe only 400,000 will die. But it could be a million. It could be 3 million. I've heard as high... This is, as, this is as if we continue to follow the Fox News way of approaching this, as if this is just a big hoax and everybody's overreacted to try and defeat Trump. Um, it could be 5 million. It could be upwards of 5 million. Because again, if you use the, if we have the higher percentage of the, the percentage of people that died, I think in is it China that was the 3%, what's 3% what's <clears throat> fatality of... Um, if 150, the top number, if, if one out of two people get it, 3% of 15 million is, what is it, 5 million? I'm not going to, I don't, we don't have time to go look it up. <laughs> Smart people know, already know the answer to it or are listening to it, and the rest will forgive me, but you get the gist of what I'm saying here. And we just don't know. That's the part. We're flying in the dark. We didn't do any testing. And we've never had the virus before, so we don't know if the summer heat will kill it or not. We don't know. We know some things because now we've been able to quickly study what happened in South Korea and Italy and China. So we do know some things, but we don't know how the, what the end game is. We don't know how it plays itself out. Taiwan had hardly, you know, I think they had 50 cases of this because they, they really got on it quick and early. And then today they announced that there's been suddenly a weird little spike in Taiwan. So we don't know. We don't know. But remember, um, you have to keep your wits about you here because we have to, we all have to work and we have to do a number of things right now that I'm going to give you things you can do. Things you can do. These are things I'm doing. Um, and obviously the first thing is take care of yourself. Please don't go outside. I mean, seriously, right now, it's the, this week, next week are the two most important weeks um, to stay inside. 
Do not have contact with other people. It's the safest thing to do. The only way, you, as far as we know, that you can contract this virus is from another human being. If you limit the number of human beings you're around to like virtually none, you have a good chance of not contracting this. It doesn't mean you won't get it later in the next wave or the wave after that. But we need to keep the numbers down now in this first wave because the health hospitals are not going to be able to handle it. So you have to take care of yourself. And by taking care of yourself, you're, you're protecting others. And all the other things they've told you to do. A lot of this was, was put on you and I to somehow stop the invading army. And, and in fact, we do. We have to, we have to be Minutemen or, or Sandinistas or whatever to stop the invaders. Um, we have to be the insurgents against the virus. So we all have to do these things to be supportive of each other. But but a lot of this talk in the last week or two has been about absolving the responsibility of the federal government. Our government, of by and for the people, our government that was supposed to be protecting us, and instead the government led by a, a malignant narcissist who was more concerned with his own reelection and with the stock market and nothing else. So odd, too, considering he's also the germaphobe in chief that he didn't hop right on this, that he didn't, he didn't get paranoid about it. This guy won't, you know, just started shaking people's hands at the age of, you know, 69 when he decided to run for office. So I hope everybody's with me. I hope you understand what the statistics are, that the, the biggest threat here is to the hospital system because that's where it's all going to crumble. That's where it's all going to fall apart. And this is what we have to fix. Not having enough ventilators, you know, there's, I've heard anywhere from 60 to 90,000 ventilators. Again, some of those are being used by people that they're also trying to keep alive right now. They have nothing to do with the coronavirus. And they, there's no more ventilators. And Trump told the governors on the phone here yesterday, just you're all going to have to fend for yourselves. Try to make your own deals. Well, deals where? Where are you going to get them? Okay, so here's what we've got to do. This, this has got to be the plan. And some of this is going to sound um, a little harsh, maybe a little threatening. Um, it, it certainly is not going to sit well with those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s and are um, not big fans of, uh, of uh, the Pentagon or the CIA or any of these people that uh, did so much to send our, our brothers that we went to high school and college with over to Vietnam to their deaths for no reason whatsoever. Um, so we've had, we've had, we've had a trust issue with them for quite some time, but now they, they have to be our friends. I suggested in Friday's podcast, it was just a little thing I wanted to put out there. If somebody in the joint chiefs of staff was listening, uh, to maybe, uh, bring a couple, uh, people with them over to the white house and remove Trump because he's become a threat to all of us. He's people are going to die now. What's that going to look like if a million, a million people die because you farted around for eight weeks and didn't do anything. That's on you, Trump. That is the only thing. If we all get to live, and if the planet, if we don't kill the planet in the next hundred years, a hundred years from now, in the history books, that's the two paragraphs on you is that you presided over the worst annihilation of American citizens. 
more than World War I, World War II, the Civil War, and Vietnam combined of American deaths. You presided over that because of your stupidity, your ignorance, your vanity, your inaction, your incompetence, and, and just your general spitefulness. You will be known as Trump the killer because these deaths could have been prevented. Wow. Okay, folks, here's what we got to do. Um, number one, we need hospitals and we need people to staff those hospitals. But we don't have enough hospitals and beds. Now, there are 200 what are called you know, um, hospitals across the country, 200 hospitals across the country that are essentially in mothballs. In other words, they're still you know, there, there's still, it's not like they're decrepit and the roof is caved in or, uh, you know, it's, it's not, they don't look like, you know, the, the dying shopping malls that no longer that sit there like ghosts on the outside of town, uh, wherever you live. Now the, these, these 200 hospitals are real hospitals and could easily be, um, turned back on essentially turn the lights back on and get things going. Uh, and they can exist as structures as hospitals with, um, hospital beds and things like that. There's about 200 of them across the country. They need to be um, uh, reinstated as hospitals. ASAP, like this week. Whatever needs to be done to get them going, to open them up, that has to be done. If you're, just, if you're taking notes, if you're going to go back to this, these are things that are only going to happen because you're going to contact your governor and you're going to contact your mayor and we're going to start locally to try and get a lot of this done. Some of this only the federal government can do. And that's where there's going to have to be such a massive screaming millions of Americans demanding this immediately. I'm, every day that goes by, there's one report coming out that, you know, they, somebody spilled the beans on this yesterday. There's a report coming out that's going to say that while the Chinese eventually got it together and they brought it, they brought it down to practically nothing now of new cases. We don't know if they'll be reinfected because again, we don't know the virus, but um, the report's going to say that um, had the Chinese, whatever day they decided to act and lock the country down, whatever day they did that, the report is going to say that had they waited one more day, it would have been, the amount, the amount of people getting the virus and the amount of people dying would have been 67% worse just by one day. Conversely, the report also says that had they acted just a day earlier than the day that they locked down the country, if they acted just one day earlier, it would have been 67% less infections and less deaths. That's amazing. That's how fast this thing goes. It starts gradually, just, you've seen it, we've seen it in this country, you know, there's one or two there, then a couple more, then there's a hundred, and now we're, we've started that big slide, you've already, you've already seen it, there's been a, a thousand new cases in just the last 24 hours, and it's, it's going to be, in a couple days, 10,000 more cases, and then a hundred thousand, it's just going to friggin' zoom, like a skyrocketing, if you look at a chart, you know, the, where the thing goes off the rails, the peak. So that's why every minute counts, every day counts. Number one, we need these hospitals reopened. Number two, we need the Army Corps of Engineers 
to come in to all this, start with the hot zones, the ones where there are already a lot of people that have it. And remember, when you hear that, that there's 100 cases in your state or there's 1,000 cases, as I said before, please multiply this by 20 or 30 times that. All that you've even heard this on TV, this is no secret. The professionals, the people that aren't afraid to speak, the people that don't work for the Trump administration, they've made this very clear. Multiply by 10, 20, 30 times whatever number they're officially telling you right now because that's a false number because we haven't been tested. So we don't really know how many people really have it. So we need the Army Corps of Engineers to build these hospitals, field hospitals, temporary hospitals, hospitals and tents. And they need they need to be built or or arenas or, or halls or whatever need to be commandeered. The governor of the state needs to needs to say New York City Javits Center there's a big convention center here. Um, that's now the Javits Field Hospital. And thousands of people are going to live because we have converted the Javits Center into a field hospital with its massive floor space and it's and it's a modern building and it'll it'll have all the electricity and gizmos that that we need. But they've got to but then they gotta bring in the beds and they've got to bring in, they've got to have the ventilators, they've got to have the IV bags, they gotta have everything. And the nurses and the doctors have to have masks and gowns. And now we're running out of those. Did, did you see that on the news? We're now running out of those. Millions more masks, more, millions more masks and gowns are needed right now. I would immediately, this, is, this has to happen, I think, with the federal government. They have to nationalize the 3M company in Minnesota, where they make a lot of these masks. Or any other, any other place that can make something like this. We have to, we have to make the protective gear immediately, immediately. You know, this is what Franklin Roosevelt did. He ordered, he ordered clothing companies and, and, and department stores and whatever who made their own clothes to stop making clothes and start making uniforms for the soldiers immediately after we were bombed in Pearl Harbor. And literally within weeks, they were doing this. And some of the companies resisted. Some of them refused. And you know what Roosevelt did? If they were, if you weren't with, if you weren't on board and do what you're told to do for the good of the people, he had you arrested. He had you fined. Sometimes just the threat of it would make them like get in line and do what we needed them to do. Remember, a lot of these companies at the beginning of World War II, they did business with Germany and they they put their businesses, a lot of them, in shell corporations so that they could get their money back in Germany after the war was over. IBM did that. Coca-Cola did it. Uh, General Motors did it. Ford, a whole bunch of uh, companies. There's a a great book I'll tell you about uh, later someday. I don't want to get off on that now, but of of how these so-called American companies kept their business going uh, during the war and, and essentially helped. It helped Hitler to have these industrial corporations. Um, so we, we need to nationalize some companies if they would, if they won't do it themselves. You know, I told you, I told you back on Friday in the podcast of how in, in Michigan, the AC spark plug factory in Flint was turned into a machine gun factory. How the hell do you go from making spark plugs one day and a machine gun the next? They did it. They started, they started they, on an assembly line where they built cars. They started, they started building planes. No, no, we know how to do this. This is, again, this isn't rocket science. 
it's just that well, these corporations aren't going to want to do this. They're in the business of selling cars and other things to make a profit. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Possibly millions of us are going to die. So shut the fuck up and do what you're told. The chairman of Montgomery Ward back then wouldn't do what he was told with Roosevelt. Roosevelt told him, we need you and your, your suppliers and your vendors who are making clothes for the department store. Montgomery Ward is a big department store, like, you know, Sears or Macy's back then. Um, he wouldn't do it. So Roosevelt, they, he said he and his, uh, uh, um, one of his cabinet members, they sent in, they sent in the U S army into the corporate offices of Montgomery Ward, one of the largest, you know, uh, uh, department store corporations in America in, in, in based in Chicago, they marched in to his CEO office. He wouldn't get up. They were going to escort him out. He wouldn't get up. So they lifted the chair. They lifted him up in the chair. See, well, Avery was his name. They lifted him up in the chair and they hauled him down to the street and marched him out in front of the employees and the people out outside the building. That in this great democracy, the president of the United States would arrest the chairman of an American corporation because he did not obey. He would not do what was for the greater good of the people. Boom. That's what we have to do. Um, we have to turn assembly lines. I don't know who's or which or whatever, but whatever's best to make these ventilators, we need to make these ventilators. The fact that we, that we may need a half a million or a million or more of these ventilators, that means they've got to be rolling off the assembly line in a, in a couple of weeks. But we know how to do this. This is something we do know how to do as Americans. This has to happen. We have to have a factory making these masks, the protective gear, whatever our doctors and nurses need. We need, we need hospitals built and we need old hospitals opened up and we, and we need large halls or places where we could have people quarantined and healing. No more court. Nobody don't be sending people back home and saying, just self quarantine. They're just going to go back there and infect everybody at home, especially the older people. Don't send them back there to kill the grandparents. This, all these things, they have to be done and they have to be done right now. We need the test kits too. You know, they say they're making them. We've heard this now for what, two weeks? Oh yeah, we'll have a mil million kits here in a couple days. Well, there's been a few more of them, but earlier today, I think they relaxed some of the rules or whatever to just to let whoever can make them, let's make them just friggin' start making them. But that's the attitude that we, that we have to have. And, and for people who are not able to work, who are being told to stay home, who are losing their wages, we need, a, we need laws passed immediately. Not this thing, you know, I, I, th I thought, um, you know, I have a, a couple of movie theaters that in this nonprofit uh, in Michigan, we, we operate these two movie theaters and I'm, I'm the founder of it and the president of the board. And I had to close them um, yesterday. I wasn't gonna wait. The governor, a couple hours later in Michigan, announced that the movie theaters had to close, but I, I was tired of waiting to hear that. So I, we just closed them. And, um, um, you know, I've, there's a staff there. What about them? 
And I told them, well, let me just hang on. First of all, nobody's laid off today. We're going to figure this out. We're going to find a way, make sure people are, are okay. But then I heard about, oh, yeah, they, they, the House passed this bill and the Senate's going to pass it now uh, where they're going to help small businesses um, who have to lay people off and to make sure that people, you know, whatever their unemployment insurance doesn't cover. And then I checked into it today and it's, they're not going to, it's not like they're writing checks. It's, they're going to give these businesses a tax credit. Well, we don't need a tax credit. We're a nonprofit. So what about these people? What's going to happen? There's no help. And I'm like, man, even, even sometimes I want to hope and I want to believe the democratic house passed this bill. That was a good thing. Well, yes and no. Uh, not for everybody. So, so that's got to get fixed, but we also need immediate laws passed saying nobody is to be foreclosed on because they can't pay the mortgage this month or next month or the next month. Nobody is to be evicted who's paying rent. Um, we need, we need some stopgap measures here so that people are not hurt because they're not going to have money because they've been told to stay home. And, and most of these businesses, not all of them, a lot of businesses are paying uh, uh, people who have to stay home, but um, a lot of them don't. And so what's going to happen to everybody? Everybody's got a monthly bill to pay. We've talked on this podcast about how the majority of Americans live from paycheck to paycheck. The majority of Americans don't have $500 to their name. If they had an emergency, they don't have cash available to them. Oh my God, the calamity here, the absolute disaster of what we have now headed into. People need to not freak out. They need to be protected by their government. And, you know, all the money we spend on defense, on all this crazy defense, so-called defense, homeland security. If it has the words homeland security attached to it, everything needs to go right to this. It needs to go right. This is our real security. The real terror, the real terrorist is this virus. And I don't mean the virus in the White House that that put us in this situation by not doing anything for eight weeks. I'm talking about the other virus, the COVID-19. All effort, all money, all attention. When Trump, Trump yesterday proposed that $850 billion bailout, he wants to get this passed, $58 billion to, just to give to the airlines to help them out because they're having a hard time. Some of them is to the, I guess, to the, what, the cruise ship industry, um, a payroll tax deduction. Mean, mean taking that, take that, that means take it out of social security. Have that, oh, have social security pay for this? I mean, this is, this is the insanity. This is why this guy, we, the sooner we get him out of there, the better, but we're going to have to get through this year. We have to get through to next January. So we need laws passed to protect the people of this country, the working people of this country. And we need to figure out the school situation. Not just because the schools act as daycare centers and and um, cafeterias for our kids who are, well, first of all, the, the kids that don't have uh, the means for a school lunch. It's their only hot meal of the day that they get. Um, you know, in a place like Flint, Michigan, there's most years, it seems like when I've read this story in the paper, 70%. 80% of the Flint school children qualify because of the poverty, qualify for the federal school lunch program. So we have to take care of all this. 
such a such a shit show, isn't it? Because the way we set this country up, the way we we don't have a safety net for the have-nots, the way that that we don't even consider it a value of ours that if somebody gets sick, we should help them. So if we, if that's already our American value, we don't have a belief that healthcare is a human right. That that if you get sick, you should be taken care of and not have to worry about going bankrupt or losing your house. Because we don't have that basic value. Is it any wonder then that when we're faced with something where half the people are going to get sick, where you and everybody, and it doesn't matter what your necessarily your socioeconomic status, because we've seen everybody already announced from the top to the bottom who's gotten this virus. And we're, we're surprised that we don't have a mechanism set up to be able to help people with their health, with their emergency, with their crisis. No, because we don't believe in it at our core. At our core, we don't believe that they have a human right to be helped. Of course, when we say that, not we, but, you know, the people that, that keep us from this, you know, the, the uh, mainstream Democrats, really the right-wing Democrats, and the Republicans, what they're really saying is they don't want their tax money to go to help those people. It's a class thing. It's a race thing. It's also a gender thing. They don't want their tax money to be going to Planned Parenthood or anything that might help women's health. No, we don't like that either. So because we're so cruel and because we allow these people, Democrats and Republicans, to maintain a system of cruelty, when we find ourselves in the situation we're in tonight, why would we be surprised that we don't have a fucking ventilator to help that person who's choking to death? out in the hallway, in the hospital. I, I, I guess I'm not surprised. I guess I know where I live. I guess I know what it means to be an American. <laughs> not for long, my friends. The writing's on the wall. Every exit poll, at every, every polling place today, Last Tuesday, the Tuesday before that, every state, the vast majority said they wanted to get rid of our health care system, wanted to get rid of private insurance. Just they said that because they were asked the question, are you in favor of getting rid of private insurance? Yes. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Mississippi, 50, was it 57, 62%? Yes. Get rid of it. Get rid of the insurance companies. I want a government plan. Okay, so here's what we've got to do. Um, on the local front, the you know mayors have certain powers depending on the state you're in. The mayor, the mayor can say, "I'm sorry, this is how we're going to do this, or we're going to have to commandeer that or take that. We're going to need that school gymnasium to put some beds in. We're going to need this or that." The mayor and the city council, or the mayor and the school board, they can do this, and they'll do it with just a little bit of pressure from you. Everybody here listening to this, if it's the middle of the night, you can't call the mayor, but you know, first thing in the morning, you've got to call city hall and you've got to say what's being done to add beds and equipment, machines, ventilators, and staff. What are we doing? We need to do it. What can we do? I'll help. Let's have a committee. Let's get going on this today because we're going to need these beds. Anywhere in the next five to 10 days. 
We can't wait a day. Mayors can do this. You can do this. You can do this locally. First, you're going to have to find out what's being done. Don't take no or we're working on it as an answer. We're going to have to find staff. We're going to have to, you know, just a little factoid here. There's upwards to 3,000 Canadians who live across the river from Detroit. They live like a quarter mile from us. But they, but they work as healthcare professionals in and around Detroit, in southeastern Michigan. 3,000 Canadians come over every day to work in Detroit, in the suburbs, uh, to help us. 3,000 Canadians who have free, 100% health insurance, no copays, no deductibles, who can get help whenever they need it. It's, all, it's almost like it's a Canadian Peace Corps that comes across the Ambassador Bridge or goes through the Windsor Tunnel uh, every day and <laughs> comes over to Michigan to take care of us poor sick fucks <laughs> because we, don't, we can't take care of ourselves, the United States of America, richest country on earth. We can't take care of ourselves. We won't take care of our, well, we won't take care of the other. We won't take care of the person over there. I'll take care of me and mine, my family and all that, but fuck everybody else. (laughs) Wow. Who are we? Who are we? I'm sick and tired of living like this. We're going to need to bring in healthcare people from Canada. Um, um, Maybe there's some extra people in Europe. I don't know. They're pretty slammed right now. Oh, how about Cuba? Don't say Cuba. The UN and the World Health Organization will tell you it is like maybe one of the best countries on earth for the number of doctors they have and the hospitals and the clinics and they're a poor, poor country and they don't have all the gizmos that we have. But boy, there is a doctor on every block. I've been there. I've seen it. You know, you need an asthma inhaler, 25 cents. (laughs) I'm serious. Shocking. No, maybe, you know, they send doctors all through Latin America. Cuba does. I mean, all the the Latin American countries, you know, they may like or not like Cuba or whatever, but boy, they sure love the fact that they train doctors and they're so good. And they, they are, you go to any, you go, you go to Peru or Bolivia uh, Uruguay, Paraguay, Chile, you go to these countries, and there's all these Cuban doctors everywhere you go. You know, it's, um, we're going to need help. We're going to need doctors and we're going to need nurses. And, and in the worst case scenario, because we're going to want to save our lives and we're going to want to save the lives of our loved ones, we're going to have to maybe learn. This sounds like a crazy idea. I know this is so sad. I even have to suggest this, but we, some of us are going to have to learn how to be a nurse how to be a doctor very quickly. We're going to have to roll up our sleeves and jump in, especially if you have had the virus, you're younger, you know, you got through it for five days and now you're somewhat inoculated, at least for a few months. Um, you're going to need to jump in. You're going to need to learn how to be a nurse uh, in, in a matter of days. 
And I got to tell you, and I'm, I'm, this is something I remember my family doctor telling me back when I was 20 years old. And he was just telling me one day, he said, you know, um, he's a general, you know, general practitioner, general, you know, just a family doctor. You know? He said, I could teach you in a week about 80% of what I do every day. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, no, really, but think about that. Why do people come to the doctor? I mean, if you're going to the family doctor, you know, you've got a cold, you've got strep throat, you've got a bad earache, you know, um, you got some kind of flu, your stomach's upset, you got a broken arm, you got a broken leg. Um, I said, I could teach him. I could teach you most of this in, in a week. <laughs> wow. He was not kidding. The basic stuff, you know. He came to the premiere of my first movie you know, about, I don't know, 10 years after that. And, uh, and he, uh, I saw him there and I said, you know, I've never forgotten. He said, you could, you could teach me about 80% of what you do in about two weeks. And, uh, and, uh, he said, well, now that you're a filmmaker, couldn't you teach me how to make a film in a couple of weeks? <laughs> and I went, well, no, I mean, and then I thought, well, wait a minute. I just taught myself how to make one. I didn't go to film school. I don't have a college degree. I'm, I'm just taught myself how to do this. You know, I'd, I'd help. I mean, I'd, certain people show me how to operate the camera. How long did it take me to learn to operate the camera? Mm, I don't know, a day. How long did it take me to operate the sound machine? Mm, less than a day. The hardest thing was probably just figuring out how the, how the editing machine worked. You know, <clears throat> that took a couple of weeks, maybe. I said to him, yeah, I said, no, you, you're right. On the basic things, I mean, I can't tell you how to actually, you know, come up with a great story. You know, I mean, that is, I don't know if that can even be taught. I mean, you either kind of have that or you can't, you know, it's like, if you, how do you write a great song? You know, how do you write yesterday? How do you write, let it be? I don't know. Um, I guess, you know, you have the talent to do that, but, but, um, but I can show you how, you know, how to play the piano one finger at a time in a couple of weeks. I know I'm, I don't mean to be laughing at this. I'm telling you, this is serious. If our doctors and our nurses are all sick, wouldn't you jump in to figure out how to operate? How do we operate that ventilator? I sat there the night my mom passed away in the hospital room. And all of a sudden she went into cardiac arrest and I was alone there. And I'm calling for the doctor and they run in and the, the hospital only had one ventilator and and it wasn't working and, and they... The nurse was trying to, there's a, they had a hand one, like where you like a hand where you like pump the air into the lungs. And the doctor came in and he saw that she didn't know how to use it right. And so he took it and showed her how to hand crank this thing. My poor mom. I could see that she's not going to make it now because we're in the wrong, we're in the wrong hospital. We're in a small rural town but the nurse you know she gave it her best shot she kept pumping the, the big balloon thing and to try to get the they had to put this hose down her throat and into her into her lungs there and she pumped it and, and she didn't die at that moment it, it, it was enough to uh, to keep her going until they could get the, the one ventilator working finally she passed away about I don't know 15 hours later I'm sure some of you have had this experience. It's awful, isn't it? To sit there while a parent of yours is leaving leaving you, leaving us, 
leaving the world. <clears throat> God, it's got to feel 20 times worse if it's, if it's a child of yours. I don't know how anybody gets through that one. How many people are going to have to go through this suffering and this grief in the next couple, three months? Because we didn't have our act together. Because the person in charge wanted to pretend that everything was okay and there was nothing really wrong. I just, I had that thought there a few days ago that people have seen their grandparents for the last time and they don't even know it. People have seen their parents for the last time. They don't even know it now, right now because the parents were, everybody seemed fine and nobody was really that sick. And you can't go see, you, you can't go see them now. You don't dare risk infecting them. You don't know if you've got it. And let me tell you, there are not enough test kits. They're not going to test you unless you've shown real symptoms. You also, before they even let you have that test, you have to take two flu tests. And I forgot the name of the other. It's like three different things they got to make. They check to see if you have that first, you know, because they don't want, they don't want to waste a, one of the few tests that they have, the, the coronavirus tests on you if all you have is the flu. So you don't know if you have it. Don't go running to your parents' house. Don't go run into your grandparents. Don't kill them. As I said to you on the last podcast, that they found that upwards to 70% of the Chinese, the elderly Chinese who died, were infected by a family member. Oh, this is so sad. I know, I know. Our parents have to go. and they, they should go before us. They shouldn't have to suffer through seeing us die. So, yeah. No, they have to go before us, but, uh, you know, you want to keep them as long as possible. My dad made it almost to 93, and, uh, you know, people were so, uh, people came to the funeral home. It was very beautiful and very nice and loving, and and they say that, they said something to me that I had said before at their parents' funerals, people who lived into their 80s and 90s, and I would say, um, well, you know, at least they, they got to live a good, long life. You got to have them all those years until it happens to you. And then when you hear it, your, your, your brain is going, no, I don't care how long it was. It wasn't enough. I didn't want them to go now. And we're going to live through a spring, spring of 2020, where hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans are going to die. People who were not supposed to have died in the spring of 2020, no matter how old they were, no matter what ailment they had, they were doing fine with the ailment, but because they had the ailment, they were weak. We have to, all of us, I'm telling you, whenever, I don't know when you're listening to this, but you have to immediately... (laughs) I'm going to wrap this thing up because you have got to get on the phone to the mayor and the city council. You've got to get on the phone to the governor's office. You have to organize others to slam the governor. The governor's got to go, whoa, something's going on. People are demanding, do I have the power to nationalize something? I thought only the federal government. I have this. Hey, governor, have your lawyer look it up. Maybe there's something you can do to get these masks made, to get the gowns made. Get the beds to commandeer the building. Call in. You've got a National Guard. You're the commander-in-chief of the state National Guard. Call them up right now. 
don't wait. I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, the National Guard's there for when the riots start, when people can't get into the hospital anymore, and they start storming the gates. So you're here. You got the National Guard with guns, and you'll be able to stop them. No, the National Guard should be helping right now. There's a lot of lot of people in the National Guard that are trained in all sorts of medical uh, help because they've got to have they've got to be enough of them with that knowledge if they're in a war zone. This is a war zone. It started two months ago. It's like Germany invading France there and the French just continue to sip on their coffees and eat their croissants. Hey, did you hear the Germans cross the line? Yeah, that was like eight weeks ago. It didn't take eight weeks. I think it was just six weeks to get the French to surrender. No, no. There is there is an invasive species. It's called COVID-19. And if we don't operate as if this were a war, a lot of people are going to unnecessarily die. So we have to force the mayor, the governor, the school board, and the president of the United States. And that's this is where you really have to come in. I've asked you to do this many times before. It's worked. You've melted the switchboards for me. You have to do this again today. You have to call your senators, your two senators, and your member of Congress. And remember, the good thing about how you know, we have a system, a switchboard on Capitol Hill that enables you. You do not have to actually know the names of your two senators. Don't worry. The majority of Americans don't can't name their two senators. So um, if you can't, that's okay. You're in good company. And if you don't know the names of your senators, they'll connect. You just got to know the name of your state. Hopefully, you know the name of the state you live in. And you call the Senate number and they'll say, oh, your senators are uh, Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow. Which one would you like to talk to first? You know, your senators are Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand. Who would you like to talk to first? You know, and then you just say, and then they'll put you through and then get, call them back and talk to the other one. I want to talk to my congressperson. Who is it? I, I don't know. I don't know her, his name. Okay. Um, what's your zip code? Oh, um, uh, 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 four, nine, six, eight, four. One moment, please. And they'll connect you right there to the Republican who represents the first district of Michigan. They'll pick up. You're probably not going to get to talk to them just as well. Just let the, the, but they keep really good track of these calls. And you say, I want everything done right now. I want ventilators coming off assembly lines in the next few days. I want field hospitals. I want the army Corps of engineers sent all over the country to build these field hospitals. I want you to work with the building trades unions. They will step up, build these temporary hospitals. We need gowns. We need masks. We need doctors and nurses. We need to appeal to people in other countries to send us their doctors and nurses. We need to demand all this. This has to come from the federal government. And we need laws protecting us so that they don't come and kick you out of your house because you haven't paid the mortgage in two months. Or the landlord hasn't kicked you out because you haven't paid the rent because you're not working. Everybody needs to be protected and not worrying about that shit right now. We need to save lives, all of us. Will you agree to call your mayor today? Will you agree to call your governor? 
Today, will you please call the Senate and the House switchboards? I'll give you the numbers, but I'll put them on the web on the website and also on the on the platform here that you're listening to the podcast on. But I'll give them to you right now. All right. 202, this is the, for the Senate, 202-225-3121. So 202 is the area code for Washington, D.C. 225-3121. That's for the Senate. The House is 202, same area code, 224-3121. So very similar. House is 202-224-3121. Senate is 202-225-3121. And let me tell you something. It's so foolproof that if you call the Senate thinking you're calling the House, they'll just switch you over. Don't worry. Just tell them why you're calling. It's a pretty good system. Now, you may not get through right away. They may put you on hold for a long time because me asking you to do this is hopefully going to melt the switchboard a bit, but you got to stick with it. Stick with it. Don't hang up. Try back again if it's busy. Don't don't give up. They need to hear from millions of us today. Not tomorrow. Today. You have to do this. You have to do this. Um, the pressure has to be enormous on Trump. He needs to see that this is going to hurt his reelection. He has to see it and believe it. And he will. If there if there's a shitstorm that we create today. Have your friends do this. Have your coworkers, even though you're all, you, some of you may be home. Send them a note, send them a text. If you belong to a group, you belong to an organization, a union, a church. Figure out how to how to put the thing out on the on the call tree. To get everybody to call everybody else and to get everybody making these calls. This is not about Democrats and Republicans. This is not about. Uh, the primary that's happening next week. This is about saving lives. And they have to, every day we wait, just think about that. Think about the Chinese. They could have saved that many more people had they just done the lockdown a day earlier. And that's the thing you have to ask for too. You have to say, we have to lock the country down for three weeks. You know, one person I spoke to earlier uh, this evening uh, told me that it's probably too late for that. We needed to do that last Thursday. I said, so do, so do nothing? No, I mean, you never know. If the lockdown was ordered here in the next couple of days, it, it yes, it should help. It won't help as much as it would have helped last week. Well, then we've got to do it. None of us can give up at this point. So you've got to demand that the country be locked down. For three weeks, we have to stay in our homes Keep the grocery stores open. Keep the pharmacies open. Make sure there's a food supply system. And make sure that the workers at the utilities are protected so that they don't get sick. So that the electricity, the gas, and the water comes into everybody's home. That, that There's no disruption. Do you understand everything you have to do here? I know this is a lot to throw out there. because the And then the final thing is, you've got to start going online and watching YouTubes and figuring out um, how is it that you operate a hand ventilator if they don't have the electric ones? Like the one I saw the nurse with my mom. Could you operate that? Yeah, you could learn how to do that. 
you you just decide you're going to learn how to be a nurse in the next two weeks. Teach yourself. If you know a nurse, have a nurse teach you things. The more of us that have this information, the fewer of us that are ignorant, the more of us that know how to help, because we're going to be needed in these field hospitals. We're not going to be able to Google our way out of this. But Google can help, and YouTube can help. And it might sound crazy, but at this point, we have to, we have to do everything and anything we can think of, as crazy as it sounds, to save people's lives. Are you with me on this? Please, please be with me on this. Please act now. I, you know, when I post these emergency podcasts, I don't, I don't, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a, a, I don't know what to call it, a marketing thing. I'm not trying to uh, goose the thing here. Oh, look, it's all red. There's a emergency podcast. I mean, tune into that. No, 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 no. I only do this when it's something really serious and where we have to do something about it right now. And we have the privilege of the technology in the 21st century. The ability for me to talk to you personally like this right now. And, and you still live in a democracy regardless of everything that's happened. It's still on paper. It still says of, by, and for the people. We need to act like it. We need to act like it is of us and by us and for us, especially the weakest ones who are going to be the most vulnerable to this disease. We have to act. It is our moral duty as human beings, as citizens of a democracy, of people that that believed they lived in the United States of America and everything that that was supposed to have meant. And we never just kind of quite got there. Did a lot of good. Couldn't quite pull it off. Is that how we end up in the history books? Great idea. Too bad they couldn't pull it off. Nice house. Nobody home. <laughs> no. I refuse that. I refuse. I resist it. I reject it. And I'm going to end this podcast. I'm going to make my friggin' phone calls. I'm going to have my voice heard. I'm going to use social media. I'm going to go on social media. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to get other people to do it. And I will not stop until I drop at the end of today. And I'm going to know that I did this, 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 and that. Because it's worth it. Nationalize the things that we need, the equipment we need, the protective gear that our health professionals need. Keep them safe. Get them well if they do get sick. And seek assistance from our neighbors in Canada, in the Caribbean, in Iceland, <laughs> Taiwan, others, you know, who've escaped this, at least the worst of it somehow, all of that, and demand that our Congress take care of us, especially the working people that aren't going to get paid next week and the week after that and the week after that. Nobody loses their home. Nobody's evicted. And they need, to, they need to write checks. I think Trump is finally onto this. Mitt Romney, it took Mitt Romney 
didn't come out of the Democratic leadership to write a check. That idea, Mitt Romney. Wow. He said, send every American a thousand bucks right now. Yeah. They need to send a thousand dollars every couple weeks for the, for the near future, at least. Nobody should be worrying about going without. Every child needs to be fed. Let's keep our cafeteria workers. Let's double their pay right now and let's keep them safe so they don't get sick. We've got a lot to do here. We need to stop talking. We need to get to work. This is an emergency. I said earlier, we need to panic. Good panic. Smart panic. We need to act like the house is burning down. If the house was burning down, what would you do? Oh, wait, there's just, there's just 10 more minutes left of the show. No, you know what you'd do. The house is burning down. We just can't see it right now. The virus is invisible. It's already in a lot of us. We just haven't gotten sick yet. But when we do, the spike that's going to happen is going to be pandemonium. It's going to be horrific. And we don't need to look back and say, geez, why didn't I do, fuck, why didn't I do something a week ago? Two weeks ago? What's wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. You're a good soul and you care about the people that are going to die and you don't want them to die and I don't want them to die. And that's why we're going to get up now and make these calls and organize the people that we know in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our workplaces, in our schools. We got to contact them even though we're not in school or we're not at work. There's nothing more important to do today, right now. You with me? Please. We can fucking do this. Come on. I'm Michael Moore. This has been the emergency podcast system. and This has been Rumble. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Damn it. We've got today to do this. Please. Bless you. This is it. Come and give me joy.